Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello again, and welcome to another Ominous Origins podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at morbidlybeautiful.com. Go check out what they have to offer right now. Always a ton of great content going on up there, including interviews, reviews, top ten lists, introspectives, retrospectives, anything you want, they have it. In fact, they launched a couple of new podcasts on their network this week. First, I spin on your podcast by the Horror Spinsters. You may remember them from the Women in Horror Month interview that I did with them, and they're two very wise, insightful, and very charismatic people, so go check out their podcast on the Morbidly Beautiful Network. Also launching is The Pod and the Pendulum, which is another great addition to the Morbidly Beautiful family. If you're unfamiliar with them, well, get acquainted, because they're great podcasts that you should definitely be listening to. And one last little note I want to go off on before we get into the episode itself today. I have a couple of new reviews, which is always exciting. First one comes from Mayflower Moon Co., and it says, Love it. I do love it, but wish it was a little bit longer, with a smiley face. I appreciate that. I'm always looking for feedback, and I'll do my best to keep these a relatively listenable length while not being too short. I'm going to hopefully avoid doing any more 10-minute episodes and keep them in the 20-30-minute to 30 minute range. I think that's a good length, but there's not always enough content to go around, so we'll still play it by ear. The second one comes from Danielle of Ghoulish Cast, and you also may remember her from the Women in Horror Month interview series I did. She's a fantastic podcast host and a really great person in general, and she wrote, Simply delightful. I'm not just saying this because I was a guest on the show. This is a delightful podcast with a wonderful host. Much needed content for the horror community. Well, thank you, Danielle, and thank you, Mayflower Moon Co. Every review... I will read that I get. I'm truly honored and humbled every time I see a new one pop up, and it just gives me the warm fuzzies inside, and I like that feeling. So if you do want to leave a review, all the information will be at the end of the episode, where you can find out how and what you can do and a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm going to throw the housekeeping at the end. It's been a theme I've been doing for the last little while. But without further ado, on to the episode. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. The Boogeyman. It is a tale as old as time. We've all heard of it and maybe even feared it growing up, or, well, even now. I know personally that I was never afraid of the Boogeyman by name, but there were other things. A bump in the night, a scratch at my bedroom door, or even a shadow in the window would all have me in tears. Yeah, yeah, I know, I was a wuss, but I don't ever recall thinking it was a boogeyman. A monster, a ghost, or a demon, sure, but not the boogeyman. But that's the thing about the boogeyman, isn't it? It can be almost anything we fear or think of when delving into those unknown nighttime mysteries. But there is a legend and an origin to this creature if you want to call it that. It was indeed first referenced in the 1500s, though it is believed that this monster lurked the bedtime stories of children for much longer than that. 
In fact, you could consider any bedtime story or campfire tale a work of the boogeyman in some aspect. Think of all the cautionary kid stories the indigenous peoples told. While they didn't or may not have mentioned it by name, the moral is still there. Be afraid of what you can't see in the dark. It does make perfect sense for people who may not have lived in the large cities or overly populated areas. After all, there are many predators who hunt in the dead of night and could very well snatch an unsuspecting child if they wandered too far from home after bed. However, in terms of the traditional boogeyman, it is speculated that it was another name or a reference to the mischievous European hobgoblin. The one glaring difference is that the hobgoblin was more known to be playful, light-hearted, and more of a trickster rather than a malevolent force, though they weren't without their share of ill-natured individuals. I mean, there's always a bad apple amongst the group who has to go and ruin it for everybody. Nevertheless, the bad ones were often thought to be quite terrible, tormenting humans and, even at times, scaring them to death. While the first reference dates back to the 1500s, the boogeyman is of such a scale that it is incredibly difficult to pinpoint the actual origins of this storied monster. Every country, every region of the world has their take on the boogeyman, but they often have all one thing in common. They lurk in the shadows and prey on the meek and scared, or guilty, which just happens to be, most often, children. And by guilty, I mean disobedient, ill-natured, that sort of stuff. It's an easy target for any night-dwelling beast, if you really think about it. Kids. Small. Weak. Easy to hide in a sack. But we'll get to more of that later. Of course, the description of the boogeyman changes from region to region, as the localization tends to borrow characteristics of what might be known to said region. In other words, what's scary to a child in China might not be the same as one from Sweden. There are stories of the boogeyman having troubling eyes that torment children who stray too far from home after nightfall. Others say it has horns or appears to be very animal-like, while others claim them to be humanoid figures or even witches. The UK has a very practical example of the boogeyman and where the name might just have originated. Back in the day, and the day being the years of the Black Death, Men dragging trolleys or buggies would be picking up dead bodies from the street, and due to the nature of their job and the exposure of the bacteria, these men would often have pale, gaunt, and almost skeleton-like appearances, making them quite a horrifying sight. It would be the equivalent of today. Imagine if every funeral director looked like a corpse, and what you might think if you saw them loading a casket into a hearse, or even driving it. It would be a startling scene, to say the least. In other words, for kids that time, it would be nightmare fuel. And since these men pulled buggies behind them, it's an easy comparison to make to the word boogie, boogie, buggy, boogeymen, boogeymen, it's the evolution of language, as you might consider. Others claim that the boogeyman itself has no figure, though, but rather has the ability to shapeshift into anything it desires, giving it the perfect camouflage. 
Because of this ability, it's believed in certain cultures that this spooky being is more of a spirit than anything else. Which is interesting, and also makes a lot of sense. As I mentioned, the Boogeyman is more of a cautionary tale than anything, and that is shown through its, well, I guess personality? Is that even the right word? I, I don't know. But its motivations really come through when it acts as sort of a judge, jury, and executioner of wrongdoers with the primary target aimed at children. But, that does not mean adults are exempt from the boogeyman's wrath. Some cultures believe that no matter your age, if you are a terrible person, the boogeyman will get you in one way or another. But if you're a good person, well, you're cool. No stalking, no hunting, no lurking for you. Though the boogeyman is more of a creep than a threat in most cases, there are stories of it being a little more malevolent than just doing things like scratching on window panes or making itself known in the shadowy corners of a kid's bedroom. The more sinister versions have a taste for young flesh, quite literally, and has been believed to sneak into the rooms of particularly naughty children and snatch them from their beds, never to be seen again. Of course, I don't have any tangible evidence of this. I mean, you could place this myth on any missing children's case out there where nothing has ever been solved, but that's a risky assessment to take, and a stance I'm not really willing to put much faith into. I would never want to belittle a missing kid by saying that they were taken by the boogeyman. Well, actually, I'm going to go off on a bit of a real-world tangent here for a second. I say that I don't want to associate the mythical boogeyman with real cases of kids going missing. But, what if there was a real person who fit this description? We really have to look no farther than Albert Fish. Fish was a serial killer who targeted kids in the 1920s in New York State. And he was a complete opportunist. He took advantage of the times and lured kids through newspaper ads and other promises of working on his farm, which he did not own. He didn't live on a farm. He would then take the kids and eat them. Well, for the most part. Fish was a piece of work, to say the least, and he definitely had some severe evil within him. He was known to stick needles and nails into his genitals and one neighborhood kid who had a run-in with him described him as the Boogeyman. But he also had many other monikers, the Grey Man, Werewolf of Wisteria, and the Brooklyn Vampire, to name a few. Fish is one of those real-world monsters that one day I might cover on this, but he was... Boy, I don't even want to get into it right now. He was just that kind of guy. Though, it is people like Albert Fish that I believe gives myths like the Boogeyman its meaning and origins. Ultimately, it is likely that many kids, hundreds if not thousands of years ago, would go missing under mysterious circumstances, and as a sign of the times, when people didn't understand what happened, they turned it into a supernatural event. We've seen it countless times with illnesses, famines, and, well, general luck. People would blame a god or a spirit, and believed fighting the monster would solve the issue at hand. This is most likely another case of that. Think about it. If you're living pre-1500, science and criminology isn't really an accepted thing. And then your kid goes missing in the middle of the night, 
even if it was from a not very secure room or house. Neighbors and family claim to have no idea what's happened, and then somebody mutters a term under their breath. It was the boogeyman. Or any other paranormal phenomenon. And that's what is believed to have happened. It would also be hard for somebody at that time to understand the depravity of humanity, and frankly, it would be easier to believe a demon or monster stole your child than believe a human could be capable of such things. Adding more fuel to the fire, I'd imagine, would be if they found the body of the child in a particularly rough shape. Mutilations or other desecrations would only lead people to believe that it was an inhuman act that could have only been committed by a devil or an animal. Chances are, they're right to a degree. Just it would be a devil of a person. Nevertheless, the boogeyman we're talking about comes in more than just the vile, evil form we've discussed. Some people believe the boogeyman to be a protector of sorts, despite their horrible appearance. This style of boogeyman actually protects kids, well, the good ones, from harm. And, of course, the other form of boogeyman doesn't care how old or young you are. If you've done wrong or are a bad person, they'll attack you. But what about the boogeymen from around the world? I've talked about different cultures having their own take on the myth, and yeah, I left it sort of vague. A cliffhanger, if you will. And I did that on purpose so you'd stick around to the end to listen. <laughs> I'm a tricky little bugger, aren't I? Well, it's that time now to go over what some of the other cultures of the world thought of the boogeyman. Indonesia has their own take on the boogeyman, and that's called the Weiwei Gombel, who generally haunts the Samarang area of central Java. This particular boogeyman has a unique take on punishing its victims. This would be one of those good boogeymen who kidnaps kids in order to protect them from abusive or neglectful parents. It keeps them safe until it feels the parents have learned their lesson and have changed their behaviors towards their kids. Though it's not all roses for the kids either. For one reason or another, the Weiwei Gombel will take the kids out of a bad situation, like a good social worker would, then forces them to eat feces until she returns them. Naturally, this leads kids to be fearful of her too. I mean, yeah, who, who wouldn't? But poop? Eh, not so much fun. The Hispanic community also has their version of the boogeyman. Well, kind of anyway. In regions of Spain, Portugal, and Latin America, El Coco stalks. His visage strikes fear into the hearts and minds of children of the regions for a few reasons, one of which is that it has no form. El Coco is a shapeshifter, but no matter its form, its appearance is always terrible to look at. El Coco scurries on the rooftops of naughty children's homes and waits patiently for all to fall asleep, at which point he'll sneak in and take the kids for his next meal. Side note, being eaten alive or even dead has to be one of the worst ways to go. I'm sure it's an evolutionary thing like how we're instinctually afraid of spiders or other harmful critters, and how humans being on top of the food chain really shouldn't be eaten. I always think of Jurassic Park and how uncomfortable I was as a kid watching people get devoured. And I say kid as in like two weeks ago. 
But I digress. Of course, parts of Europe will have their own take on the boogeyman, and Croatia has a chilling one. Babaroga is a boogeyman that hungers for disobedient kids with a petrifying appearance that resembles a hideous old woman with horns spreading out of her head. As many of the others do, she stalks the night waiting for her prey so she can snatch them up, take them to her lair, and ultimately consume them. She's thought to have a sack with her, and I mentioned a sack earlier. I see foreshadowing which she will stuff her victims into, a la Krampus, and drag back to her cave, which is usually where she lives. While she will grab kids who wander out too late, she's been known to create pure nightmare fuel by reaching down the cracks of the ceiling to grab sleeping kids from their bed. And I just pictured it, and I will never sleep again. Another one from Latin America is the Tata Duende, and this guy is mostly known in the Mayan and Mezizo folklore. This handsome fellow is known to have backwards feet and no thumbs, which really makes him want thumbs, apparently, if you know what I mean. The name Tata Duende pretty much translates into Grandfather Goblin, and is the protector of the jungle, though he can be kind of a dick sometimes. If he spots a naughty child, he'll lure them into the jungle where he, you guessed it, bites the thumbs off kids. Crunch, yum. Japan is also known for some crazy and intense spirits in their culture, and it's no surprise they have a boogeyman of their own. The Namahagi, like many others, prey on problem children, and that includes being lazy. Therefore, I never would have survived this particular boogeyman as a kid. The Namahagi is known to take these kids during the new year, but they also have the propensity to wander the streets and cry out, are there any crybabies? Which, of course, is terrifying. The Namahagi is said to be more of a demon, or at least have the appearance of one. Next up, we have the Ude Rode Ogen, also known as Old Red Eyes, and is thought to be a shape-shifting cannibal who preys on young children. It is thought that the form of this beast would likely appear in the shape of a black dog, with red eyes. And this friendly canine comes to us from the Netherlands. Now the eastern Mediterranean area also has its own legend, and of course it does. It's a very culturally rich area, and it comes into the form of the Luomo Nero, and is typically portrayed as a man dressed in all black that haunts disobedient children. This boogeyman is often said to also wear a hood or hat that hides his face. The Luomo Nero comes to kidnap children who disobey their parents, though unlike other boogeymen, he doesn't eat them. Instead, he takes them to a frightening place to live for one year. The Jumbi is an evil human spirit that comes back to haunt the living in Caribbean folklore. While similar to ghosts, Jumbies differ in that they cast a dark black shadow instead of appearing as a wispy figure. These spirits are malevolent and will target anyone, which is a theme that seems to be popping up more and more as I look into this. It doesn't really seem that children are the primary targets all the time. Anybody can be the victim of a boogeyman, it just happens to be your location that determines your survivability. 
which kind of sucks. But hey, I don't make the rules. This is just what I found. Now last up, we have the Night Hag. And she is an evil spirit thought to cause sleep paralysis and nightmares. This spirit is an old woman who preys on fear and nightmares of her victims. She sits on the chests of her victims while they sleep, causing them to have difficulty sleeping and enter terrifying and disturbing dream states. And that wonderful motherly-like creature has origins all over the world, from Sweden to Fiji and pretty much everywhere in between. It's one of the universal boogeymen, or boogie women in this case. Now that does bring us to the end of this episode. I really do hope you enjoyed what I went over today with the boogeyman and the various cultural differences. If you did like what you heard, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to support the show in any way, shape, or form, you can do so by hitting up my Patreon at patreon.com slash horrorshots, or even check out my Redbubble store, which has a bunch of great new designs, some original, most original, well, actually all original if you want to count the Horror Shots logo and the Ominous Origins logo. Either way, you can show your pride for the show by picking up a t-shirt or a laptop case or a sticker or whatever suits your fancy. There's a bunch of different options up there. You can also find me on social media, and we'll start with Twitter, and that would be at Horror Shots Prod, as in production, or on Facebook at Horror Shots. Or Instagram at Horror Shots Photography, which I haven't really updated a whole lot lately, but here's hoping I get some time in the future to work on some creepy photography stuff. Other than that, thank you once again for listening, and I will be back next week with a brand new Ominous Origin.